coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 25th of June, 2023. That's so fitting. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Colossians. We'll continue in our study in this uh, wonderful book. As Paul writes to a church that he had never visited, but he had a heart for the people there. And he speaks truth into their lives. And we want to continue to see what Apostle Paul had to say to them. We're in the second half of the book. We're dealing more with the ramifications of being in a right relationship with the Lord. Um, and again, I want to say this about that. This book was written to Christians. You may not be a Christian if you're listening here in person or on the video. And uh, I would just say the life in Christ is something to be desired. But these words were written to encourage the saints, those who are followers of Christ. And to that end, if it sounds like we're talking just to a select group, we sort of are. That's the nature of this writing. But let's look into this section in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, let's begin with verse 12. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, you must put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of, the, of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The standing joke around our house is Diane will ask, usually sometime on Saturday, are you ready for tomorrow? And my re response always is, no, but I will by Tuesday. <laughs> and I told her, I said, well, I have, I have several hours worth of message today. And she said, you can't do it that long. So you're going to get what I can give you in the time allotted to me. Now, up till now, in chapter 3, as he made this switch to talk about uh, how to live out this life we have in Christ, I just want to go back for a moment to remind you what was in chapters 1 and 2 to the extent of why 
this is so powerful a message. What was going on in chapters 1 and 2 is Paul was combating some teaching that wanted to supplant Jesus Christ as the person that believers look to. In other words, the false teachers were saying, uh, Jesus Christ is not all that important. And Apostle Paul builds a case in chapters 1 and 2 to say, are you kidding me? It was in the Greek that way. No, it's not. He says, are you kidding me? He says, Jesus Christ is your life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have life. And so in chapters 1 and 2, he's building the case for the superiority of Christ. And he talks about that Jesus Christ would have first place preeminence in our hearts and lives. And so he takes that, that theme then and says, if those things are true, and they are, in the life of a believer, what is it going to look like as we live out that relationship with Jesus Christ in the right position in our hearts and minds? What's it going to look like as we live our lives day by day? And in the first few verses of this chapter, and what we looked at uh, last time, as Paul says, you, there's going to be some things that you're going to get rid of out of your life. He says, actually, he uses a very strong word. You're going to put to death some of these things. And other things, you're going to put them off and leave them behind and walk away from them. When we come to chapter 3 and verse 12, he turns that around and he says, if there are things that we kill off and there are things that we put aside, there's also something that ought to be a part of our lives. So I'm going to ask you a question to lead into this section. Okay, so I want you to think of it for a moment. I want you to think about your clothes. I want you to think what's hanging in your closet or what things are in your drawers besides your drawers. What kind of shirts, things or else are in those drawers that you would turn to to wear, okay? You got all those things pictured in your mind? Okay, how many have things hanging up they have no really good reason to still be there. They ought to be gone. Either you don't wear them anymore, or they don't fit you anymore, but they're still there. There's other things that may have sentimental value that you have hanging up there, but the likelihood of you wearing it ever again is next to nil. I could imagine something like um, some military clothes you might have served and you have them hanging. The likelihood of you wearing them, except on maybe some special occasion, it's just they're just going to be there. Okay, let's turn our attention now to something else. What's in your closet that you go to time and time? time again because it's it just fits you 
and you like it. The cut is right. It's comfortable. It just works for you. Anybody have any stuff like that? Stuff that once it gets into the washer and dryer and back to the rack, it's being pulled off again. Because you're going to go to it time and time again. Okay? Apostle Paul is talking about, in the spiritual life, these are go-to clothes. These ought not to be the ones that are just hanging up there that you will never wear again. We discarded those. These are things that you go to time and time and time again. Why? Because your new life in Christ, these things just fit. These things just work. Now I'll say something else about clothes. We're not going to not talk about clothes. Diane knows that I have select things that I go to over and over and over again. But how about things that are appropriate? You know, I, I've been pastor here for a long time. And I'm not going to challenge you to do this. But I don't think I've ever had anybody come to Sunday service in a bathing suit. You know? I can see some of you going, oh yeah, pastor, wait till next Sunday. No, please don't. Okay? It's just not appropriate. But I've conducted lots of weddings where people have come in very nice outfits and sitting down the row from them is somebody in ragtag stuff and you go, come on, isn't there anything better in your closet to wear for a, an occasion like a wedding? But that's here nor there. That's up to them. But Apostle Paul now turns his attention to a believer and says, like you have things in your closet and in your drawers that you go to, as a believer, these things you ought to go to time and time and time again. And he uses the phrase, put on then these things. Put on then these things. But even before he starts to mention them, he reminds us that our image bearer status, and we used that phrase last time, is a result of God's giftedness. In other words, the fact that we can even wear what God has called us to wear and to live out our lives is something because he has given it to us. And he gives us three aspects of this. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And so there's three words. The first one, he says, we are chosen by him. How many has ever had the gospel presentation given to you? Yeah, I hope so. That's probably how you came to know the Lord somewhere along the line. Someone gave you a gospel presentation. And they asked maybe a word like this. Do you accept Christ as your Savior? Do you want to put your faith in Christ? Something along that line, right? And you go, yeah. 
That's for me. That's what I want. But did you realize the Apostle Paul is not basing this stuff on what you want. He's talking about what he wants. And he says, I chose you. And that's kind of nice. Have you ever wanted to be close to somebody that wouldn't give you the time of day? You may want it plenty. You may want to be part of an in-circle when you were going to school. You may want to be part of it in group, but you were sort of held at arm's length. They didn't want you. You wanted to be in. They didn't care. And you may say, Christianity is like that. I accepted Christ. And the question is, is God just going to let me in the back door because he really doesn't want to be identified with me? And the answer is no. Apostle Paul after talking about the authority and the supremacy of Christ, says, oh, do you know that he chose you? I've given you the illustration before of the woman with the issue of blood, how she comes to Christ because she tried to be, get well and the doctors couldn't help her. She finally comes in desperation and she grabs a hold of, of the hem of his garment with the with a prayer in her heart that she would get healed. And she grabs a hold. And she is healed. And then the Lord stops everybody in midstream. Says somebody touch me. And I've often thought. Why in the world did he do that? And I, I at least have part of an answer. I think it was because. She could have gone back to her home and said, I took this from Jesus. And he wanted to let her know that no, she had come to him by faith, but he was willing to give it to her. Go home. Your faith has made you whole. You don't have to hang your head. You don't have to slink away. You didn't have to say, well, I came in by the back door. No, this was something where God says, I choose you. Do you feel chosen? I don't care if you do or don't. You are. Okay? The second thing he says, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy. <coughs> holy? Me? God is talking about me and he's, and he's saying, I'm holy? Just ask my spouse. That probably isn't the word that comes to their lips immediately. But that's on the lips of our Savior. I am holy because of it. Listen to what Paul writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy. He says, we're chosen by him. Now we're made holy by him. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor about me as his prisoner, but share in the sufferings of the gospel by the power of God. Then he says this, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, 
but because of his purpose and grace. Wow. God called us and declares us holy, not because we have lived such a holy life. <laughs> no, just the opposite. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't get into heaven because you go, oh, man, look at all the merit badges I have accumulated here. We didn't get in that way. We got in because he deigned to see that it happened in our lives. Made us holy. Then once more, he says, you're chosen, you're holy, and you're beloved. You're beloved. And this is the same word that we will see later on in the passage. It's the, the principal word for love in the New Testament. But I want you to note something here. That while the others were descriptive, this is a verb in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense indicates something that has happened with abiding results. It just wasn't the Lord loved you then and he's moved on now. He says, no. You are loved by God. So our image bearer status is a result of God's giftedness. He's the one who chose us. He's the one who made us holy. He's the one who loves us. 1 Thessalonians 1, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he chose us because our gospel came to you not in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, God did a work in you. Wow. Are you ready for this? We haven't even talked about any of the clothes in your closet that you're supposed to be wearing yet. That follows right now. Our suitable attire as image bearers is a result, and this is key to this next section, is a result of communion with our Lord. I don't want to bypass this. This is an important principle. We can look at this thing, and there's a list, as you can see in your notes, the list of words that are used to describe what he's coming up with. But what he's not saying is, I want you to add this to your life. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, this should be descriptive of you as you hang out with me. When we think of Jesus and his disciples, we know that when Jesus called his disciples, he called them from their way of life, and he said, what? Follow me. And he, as the disciples followed him, they saw him 24-7, all the time, every day, except when he went away to, to pray to his father. The disciples were with him. All the time. They got to see him. They got to be with him. 
And what he's not talking about here, he says, okay, you may have gotten saved by the grace of God, and he may have chosen you, he, he may have, have worked the work of love, he, he may have made you holy, but boy, now you've got to get to work and add all these things in your life. No, 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 no. That's not what he's talking about. What he wants is for this to be descriptive of us when people see us because we've been with him. Okay? Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace and they were wandering around there, their ropes were, were burned off. And then they came out of the flame, even though there was three thrown in, there was four seen in there. One like the Son of God. Hmm, I wonder who that was. Anyway, when they came out, do you remember the comment? It says, they don't even have the smell of smoke. What was the expectation? They had been hanging out in the flames. They should smell like smoke. And what I believe Apostle Paul is driving at to the church at Colossae is this. When you hang out with Jesus, you should have the sweet-smelling savor of the Savior. People ought to... We perceive that you've been with Jesus ought to be their response. And so these things that are described in this section that he tells us to put on come about because we're hanging out with Jesus and they're most fitting to us now that we are in Christ. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, come and talk to me later. We'll try and straighten it out for you. So let's look at some of these words. And they're not going to be mysteries. I'm just, I left them blank just so that you would have something to, just, to do to stay awake. But they're right in the text. He says, first of all, I want you to be compassionate. And the word there literally means like mercies. And uh, it's a word that is used in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice. What is he saying? This is the beginning of chapter 12. I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice based on everything that Jesus talks of everything that Paul talked about and what Jesus did in chapters 1 through 11. So let's review chapters 1 through 11 in Romans. No, we're not going to do that. He says that was all the work of a compassionate God in your heart and your life. That was all God's mercy. So he says, first of all, he says, I want you to put on then compassionate hearts. And those words are, inter are interlaced together because the word heart there, compassionate heart, is a completely separate word. And uh, it's one of those fun Greek words that I've shared with you before. 
Isn't this a, a, a wonderful sounding word? Spolonga. Spolonga. And it really means not your heart. It's a little lower, your gut. Okay? And he says, I want you to have a gut feeling when it comes through others. Now, sometimes we get to worrying and our gut starts to get all excited about things that we're worried and concerned about. But there's other times, and we used to, we describe it this way, says our heart went out to them. You know, something happens and maybe someone is injured or someone is, is hurt in some way or there was some sort of family tragedy um, car is destroyed or home is destroyed or, or something happens and what do they do? They put up a GoFundMe thing, right? You want to help them rebuild their house? You want to help them, you know, pay their medical bills? You want to do... He says, if you see somebody in need, in 1 John chapter 3, 17, if anyone in, has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes up his heart against him, how does he say the love of God abides in him? And he says, if we see somebody who has need, and we're not moved by that, that doesn't fit. The clothes that we should be wearing is, our heart should go out to them. Our, our desire should be, for them. So those two words often work together. Compassionate heart. Then we should have a care for others. And we should have a reaction that moves us to action. Which brings us to the third word. He says, compassionate heart kindness and the word kindness there could easily be translated into something where we could say that a person would have a giving spirit obviously a person who has the world's goods and whose heart has gone out to them what's going to be the next step if you have a need and I've got some goods and my heart is going out to you What's next? Well, how much did you need? Our next step then would be for it to go into action, right? You know what I'm so thankful of being a pastor? There's lots of things, but one of the ones that I see that maybe not all of you see, but it's just because of my position, I guess, I see people meeting other people's needs. All the time. Someone will see a need. I happen to know about that need. And, and then the next thing I know, that need is being met. I didn't have anything to do with this. This wasn't a church vote or anything. It was just somebody who had this. And they showed their care, their kindness by meeting a need. Well, let's move on. We're not done yet. He's got quite a list here. 
And he says, humility. He says, why would a person be humble? He says, well, one reason is because we know that we have a creator. We didn't come <laughs> just out of the area. We were handmade by God, and we owe our allegiance to him. And that's a humbling thing. And then we see others, and we go, you know, they're handmade by God, too. I'm not anything special. I'm special to God, but not special when it comes to relationships with others. And so I'm humble before them. I can minister to them. Peter put it this way. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, not just the younger, all of you with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Calls us. I don't have to have my way. I don't have to be recognized. You know, it just, and that's what Paul is talking about. That's what Peter is talking about. Who are you? Well, in the eyes of God, I'm his chosen one. I'm elect. I am made. I am uh, loved. But when I come to ministry, I'm nobody special. Any of you are as special as I am. That's the idea of humility. So I don't have to make a big deal about how I minister. Who sees it? Who notices it? Doesn't have to be anything like that. By the way, are you noticing a pattern here? The words that Paul has chosen to use with the church at Colossae have to do with our relationships one with another. None of the words in this seg segment, although he talks about it in other portions of God's word, have to do with our own perfections, you know, having to do with whether we are um, people who uh, have our lives in order, any of those things. This is talking about how we deal with Next word is meekness. Number five, meekness. It has to do with the idea of being gentle. Being gentle. You remember what Jesus said to his disciples when the children were trying to come to him and, and they were going, no, don't bother, Savior, don't bother. He says, suffer the little children. And the only way they would come to Jesus is if Jesus was approachable, if he was welcoming. And Paul says that's what we ought to be. We ought to be gentle. In fact, even when it comes to correction, that's the case. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if any is caught in a transgression, 
You who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It is not, aha, I caught you in sin. You better repent. That isn't it. It's brother, I see. You're struggling here. Can I assist you to walk the path that God has called us to? There's quite a difference in attitude there, isn't it? It's, it has the same goal, maybe, of, of correction and restoration, but it comes across completely different. If you're gentle, you're going to approach somebody in humbleness. I'm not any better than you. I'm susceptible to the same issues that you are. But I care about you, and I, I want to restore you. Gentleness or meekness. The next one is one of my favorite words, as you already probably have guessed. The word is patience. And the idea of patience here is a Greek word that we've talked about before. I won't belabor it too much. Macrothemia. It's two words put together. Macro meaning great. Themia is passion. You have a great passion for us. Oftentimes, it's talking about translated patience, and that sort of throws us off because we go, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Probably could find other, 10 other things to be doing, but I'm waiting. You know, we see little cartoons like that, the guy sitting out on the bench out in front of the store, and he's passed away and all that's left is a skeleton because he's waiting for his wife inside who's still shopping. That isn't what he's talking about when he's talking about patience. This is just the opposite. This is a person who has a great passion for them. This is the word that's chosen by God to describe how he feels about someone who is lost. He says... He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And that's why he is patient. So even if a person resists the call on their life, God doesn't throw them aside. He says, you still got life and breath. My desire for you is for you to get right. And as I told you before, one of the reasons it's one of my favorite is that's exactly what happened to my sister, who resisted all of her life until the last days of her life. And she gave her heart to Jesus, put her trust in him, and I hope to see her in heaven because of that. But what if God wasn't patient? I've had it. You have given me so much guff all through your life. I am done with you. I am bothered sometimes by people who say, I've just written that person off and pushed them out of my life. I know there's a tension there because sometimes... You don't want to have a bad influence keep impacting your life in a negative way. But what we're talking about here is, do I still care? 
Do I still have a heart for them? Do I still want to see the best for them? But let's move on. He says, bearing with one another. And the idea here is putting up with difficulty. I love it because this word is used to describe how God treated us in Romans chapter 2. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? And patience, not knowing that God's kindness was meant to lead you to repentance. You're presuming on all this stuff. Good thing that God still is patient and still is forbearing. Does everybody do everything the way that you would do it? And why not? After well, my way is the right way. I got some amens on that one. And you go, no. Bearing with one another. And if that wasn't bad enough, the next one will take you a step deeper into this, into this. And he says, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving them. Forgiving them. Letting it go. Literally, the word comes from the word grace. And you start gracing people right and left. Showing them grace. Do they deserve it? No, that's the whole nature of grace. They don't deserve it. Did we deserve God's grace? You weren't very vocal on that one. Did we deserve God's grace? No. One more time, did we deserve? No. Well, now that some of you are awakened, no, we don't deserve it. But God is gracious. And part of what he does then is forgives us. Well, we're almost there. I'm not going to belabor the next one because you know it all too well. And he says, and above all these things, put on love. This is where we look out for the other person. We're other-centered. You can see all these relational words here. And he says, if these things are a part of who you are, he says, he says, and above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. All these words all together, the stitching that holds this cloth together, this thing that you're going to put on is love. And he says, and then what? And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, which indeed you are called in one body. And then he says, the fallout for this is that we'll have peace in our heart. A lot of these things could generate turmoil in our lives. I mean, when we don't get along with a brother and we have to forgive them, we don't usually go around forgiving people that haven't offended us. 
So there's all sorts of reasons why there could be turmoil in our life. But Apostle Paul said, if you practice these things, if you hang out with Jesus and you learn of him what he is about, and you are the same way, peace is going to be a characteristic in your life. And who doesn't like that? And he says, oh, and one other thing. And be thankful. <laughs> and be thankful. I think this is one of those hallmarks of the Christian life that is different than the world around us. You say, oh, pastor, I know lots of people who are thankful. Are they thankful only when things go well or are they thankful all the time? Because the Lord says to give thanks in everything. How in the world can you be thankful when things go south? Unless you want to go south, I suppose, right? <laughs> you want to go south. No, how when things go bad? How's that? Is that better terminology? What happens when everything falls apart? Can I still be thankful? Well, the world has a harder time with that. Believers do too, so that's why we should be thankful. We learn from him. Because one of the things he's doing is he's taking our attention off what we are going through and moving our attention to him. And that's a good thing. And that's why we can be thankful. Lord, you're with me in this. Wow. I don't know what I'd be like, what I'd do, if I didn't have you. Apostle Paul says... Church at Colossae, he could be very easily speaking to us. He says, do you see the importance of Jesus Christ in your life? Because all these ramifications flow from that point where Jesus Christ has a superiority, first place in your life, and you look to him for your life, and these things result. And if you want to get rid of Christ, all this other stuff goes by the wayside. So the question for unbelievers who are listening to this message, do you know this wonderful Savior? Do you know what it's like to experience these graces? Because he has offered them to you. Have you taken him up on his offer? Have you said yes? And to us as believers, how are we doing it, hanging out with him? Are we learning of him? Are we seeing him in action and going, oh, so that's how that's done. Paul says, that's the call on our life, to live out these things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we have rattled through a list here. But in doing so, we have seen how we ought to live. It isn't a matter of just gritting our teeth and trying to put all these things into practice. It is more a matter of hanging out with you and absorbing this into our lives and living it out that way. So Heavenly Father, may our desire be to abide in you 
so that we could see this kind of fruit born in our lives to borrow a completely different picture. And we'll give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.